and then he he tried to find the best offering that he could why 16 stones we don't know yeah. we could have said we could say why not a hundred or why not just two but he did his best whatever we got according to his circumstances and then he brought them to the savior and, and in a way he said this is the best i could i bring you my best offering and what did the savior did he touched them with his finger and and, and he gave them light and he gave them away to him and his family and i always love how all the stories in, in, in the scriptures always have to do with families. So he gave him and his family a way to receive that light and to have that light through their journey, which is similar to what we have in our life. Welcome to another episode of the Cultural Hall, you guys. Here is the deal. What what a blessing, what an opportunity, what an exciting, cool experience to be able to uh, visit with Sisters Abuerto in this episode. And uh, throughout the episode, you hear uh, mentioned a couple of times about uh, Elena's um, farewell talk before she went on her mission. And so, because I'm that kind of guy, I hit her up and I said, hey, would you be willing to read your farewell talk? So if you stick around past Peter Brian Holt at the very end of the episode, uh, the last seven or eight minutes or so, uh, is Elena Abuerto's farewell mission talk. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall and uh, a follow-up episode of sorts. Uh, if you'll remember, uh, a little over a year ago, we had Elena Abuerto here in The Cultural Hall talking about the Consecra uh, Consecrating Your Life podcast. Uh, well, we've decided to bring her back, and uh, this time she is joined with uh, her mom. Reina, thank you for being here as well. Thank you so much for inviting us, Rich. Now, if you hear uh, Reina Abuerto, you might think, well, wait a minute. Is that the former second counselor in the Relief Society presidency? Yes, that is correct. That is uh, who she is. So uh, I want to take just a brief moment and tell you thank you for all that you did in your service. Uh, I, I, it, was a, it was a unique service that I just have to tell you that I appreciate uh, the authenticity that you brought to the words that you spoke and that you shared and for the um like i think just the really feeling like yeah life's kind of messy and then we're all kind of doing this together and you know my life's been messy and so is yours and and we'll get there i appreciate um that message that it feels like you shared Thank in you your so in your time i appreciate those words but you know that it is a privilege to serve the lord in any in any capacity that we can and that also he magnifies our efforts. I really believe that he guides us when we are trying to, to follow him. And he magnifies our efforts. I feel that my efforts were not that big, but he probably magnified them. And that's why, you know, um, he, he was able to, he's the one who makes his miracles happen, I think. Yeah. So I give him all the credit. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I, I do want to ask you if you're willing to talk one portion about it. Um, as the story goes, or at least from the outside, uh, President Bingham asked you to speak about your divorce from your first marriage. Yeah. And you were like, no, thank you. I would rather not. Or, <laughs> you know, we kind of, you know, we, you know, that's not where I am right now. I'd like to kind of move along. And she said, and and please correct me if I'm wrong at all, but paraphrased, she said, nah, why don't you kind of reconsider this? Maybe throw, you know, you know, toss up a a couple of prayers and see what the Lord would have you to do. And and um I I I I find it so um fascinating because you could have come back and said, No thanks, I still don't want to. But for so many people, I think that that's where they first locked into who you are and what your ministry would be about while you're within that calling. So can you take us back to that and, and maybe what made you decide to, to go differently than maybe you would have originally started? Yeah. Well, in essence, that's how it went. But the, the, actually what happened is that we were going to speak at BYU Women's Conference just a few weeks after we were sustained. Uh -huh. And Sister Bingham suggested that we talked about ourselves, that we told our stories to the sisters so they would get to know us better. And so I jumped immediately. <laughs> I said, yes, I, I'll tell them about me, but I don't want to talk about my divorce. Because like you said, you know, it's in the past. We don't talk about it in my family. And uh, I just don't want to talk about that. But then she looked at me and she said, 
please reconsider because I know that many sisters will relate to you. And that's how, um, it, I mean, it took me a few seconds <laughs> to realize that I was wrong. Um, for some reason, we tend to try to hide things that have been painful to us. Uh, and we can see that even from the beginning, you know, when Adam and Eve um, were in the garden and, and Lucifer told them, hide, because <laughs> the father is coming. And they wanted to hide. I guess it's, it's some kind of like natural reaction from the natural and woman and men that, that we have inside to hide. But I think that's why that's what I want I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, um, you know, uh, President Bingham told me that and then she gave me the courage and then I just said, OK, I'll do it. Mm. <laughs> uh, I knew that it was not going to be easy. And up to the point, you know, I really don't want to like to talk about it. Um, but but still, I know that it's important. I know that it's important for people to relate, for people to realize that we all have our struggles. We all have our stories. And we all have had moments in our lives that were painful, that we wish we wouldn't have to go through that. Or sometimes we, you know, we feel guilt or shame. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that we need to be more transparent and just present ourselves as we as as we are, and this is in every in every in every um, sphere that we that we are in. Um, just being ourselves, and then that that allows other people to to open up about themselves too. And when we tell our stories to each other, we connect, mm-hmm. and, and we realize that we are all in the same on the same boat, <laughs> just trying to live life the best way we can. You know. Yeah, it, w- one of the things that impressed me the most uh, when Elena when I, and I were able to speak before is she talked about uh, that authenticity. And Elena, you, you you mentioned that that's why you wanted to start doing this podcast that you've been doing now over a year. Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but to be able to connect um, with people to be able to get their authentic stories. I would be curious from you, Elena, have you noticed since your mom sort of first opened up about this to today, have you noticed a difference or has she always been the same with you? And now it's more outward facing that you've seen a change. Yeah. Ever since my mom got this calling, she's been more vulnerable with, with me even. Um, We, I mean, Growing up, I didn't know the truth about how my mom's father had died, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until a few months before she spoke in conference about depression um, and mental health issues that she finally opened up and told me and my family like that he had actually died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, I never knew that. And so... I mean, I don't know. That's just one of the blessings that this calling has brought us is that it's helped my mom to be more vulnerable. And I feel like my relationship with her has been better because of that. I mean, we we're best friends, but like we could tell each other everything, but I feel like because of the vulnerability, our relationship has been even stronger. So, yeah. but, but it's so scary right mm-hmm. now to be uh, vulnerable just even in a class people that uh, you know think about sharing just something from within the four walls of their home in a sunday school class they you know oh, i don't know i don't want to i don't want to share that with people and you're doing this on a worldwide scale i have to i have to feel like it was you know really feeling supported by the lord to be able to even put utterance to any of those things yeah, I, I, the thing is that it's not easy, but I, I also believe that when we open up and we are vulnerable, we need to follow the spirit. Mm-hmm. Not that you're going to tell everyone everything, you know, and, and, and all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that you need to follow the spirit and, and say the things that you feel comfortable saying, depending on where you are and with whom you are. And, uh, and just follow the spirit. Uh, I, I think that sometimes we could also go to the other extreme and just tell all these details that people don't need to know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know but, but if we follow the spirit and, and, then, and then we do it in a way that, is, that we're trying to, to edify other people, that we're trying to help people realize that, that we all have our struggles. One of my favorite things is when I am in a Relief Society class or, or a Sunday school class or in a group of friends, you know, and, and then someone tells us what, what, what they're struggling with. 
and, mm-hmm. and you know they'll tell us a story. It happened in Relief Society this Sunday. Their sister opened up and she told us her story, and, and we felt so connected with her. But she did it in a way that we could feel the spirit. How do you think, and this is a question for both of you, uh, and I would be curious because there is a, a difference in years, obviously, between the two of you. How do you think that we can encourage? I appreciate that. If you're not watching the video, they went, yeah, there is. Of course, there's a difference with a mother or daughter. But how do you think we can encourage that more? There are there are people that just yearn for the connection with other people whom with they worship, but but there are others who will stay locked up, who don't feel safe, who can't open up about themselves in any sort of setting, especially not a church setting, how can we encourage that? And whoever wants to field it first, but both of you guys have to answer. Um, Well, I think for me as a leader in my ward, I always try to make it a point to say something vulnerable about myself. Um, That way the sisters, I mean, I'm in really excited right now. So Mm -hmm. that way, if I am vulnerable, then the sisters feel like they can open up too. Or at the, at the very least, they can relate to me and then come find me afterwards or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I love that example that you just gave recently in school that you said, you know, you tried to say, oh, this homework is so hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then that opens up, you know, everybody just feel, they feel with me. Yeah. yeah, they agree. They, they, they all think the same thing, but mm-hmm. nobody, you know, has the courage to say it first. So <laughs> just by saying something like that, people can open up. I I, I don't know. I think that... It's not good to try to give this image that our life is perfect because no one has a perfect life. We all have our struggles. We all have our, you know, holes in our life that have not been filled or or things that happened in the past or uh, longings that we have. Um, I don't know, relationships in our families that are not going the way that we want or things like that. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not that you're going to say everything, but at least um, be open in a way that people realize that that we are we are all trying. Uh, I think that a concept that I like is the concept that we are all a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You know, like my my journey with being vulnerable started just a few years ago after I was fifty, <laughs> and uh, and I'm still in that journey. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect in every way. Um, like some people think that I'm an expert, you know, in emotional issues because I gave that message in a conference, but the right. reality is that I'm still learning. I'm still learning and I, and I make mistakes and I, uh, and, and I need to just keep trying. I need to keep trying and, and, and I'm a work in progress. We are all a, a work in progress. We will not be perfect until we are in another, in another world, you know, or life. You know, when we uh, visited before, Elena, you were you had opened up um, that you uh, dealt with issues of both um, depression and and um, and and the things sort of along those lines. I would be curious in the time that you have had, because it seemed, at least in the way that you described it, that that was sort of if not new, but new-ish, and you were kind of working your way through that. As you look back in the time since we last spoke to now, how has that journey been? For you and what have you learned about yourself um oh, that's a good question I mean I'm still struggling with it but it's not like as it's not as um how do I say this it's just not as bad as it was before I because I mean right now I am doing I'm working as a student teacher and usually every time I get a new job I get super depressed because I just feel like I can't do it. And, um, I don't know. I just, I expect myself to be perfect right off the bat, which is really unrealistic. Cause it's just, it's my first time teaching choir. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've learned to just like kind of manage my expectations a little bit and recognize that I'm here to learn and nobody expects me to know everything right away. And, I don't know. So that kind of stuff has helped me. Um, Cause I think last year I, I was, I think maybe when I was talking to you, I did have a different job and I was like feeling depressed about that, but now I'm not as depressed about this. So, yeah, it's great. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I, and I think that we see this with um, kids if we have kids, if we're blessed with the opportunity to be able to have it, but we get a little glimpse, I think of, of heavenly father being able to kind of walk along our kid along with our kids right 
and, and we allow them that grace to be like, of course, Elena, you're not going to be perfect at the student teaching job. You've literally never done that before. And so you are allowed, uh, you allow her that sort of grace. But but I would bet, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm betting, Reina, that occasionally you have been hard on your own self if you've struggled through something and didn't get it right away. Why do you think that is that we can allow that to other people, but we don't allow it to ourselves? Well, that is a great question because I think that's something that we all struggle with. But again, I think that that self-talk, that giving us ourselves compassion and grace, I love that you use that word. Mm-hmm. You know, grace is one of those beautiful words that uh, probably it's hard to understand the, the whole meaning of it. But, but you know, we know that we depend on the grace of the Savior. And, uh, and he gives our, us that grace because he loves us. Mm-hmm. So we could start by loving ourselves first. Yeah. And he actually said, you know, love, love thy neighbor as yourself. And we need to start with ourselves. And um, something that I have learned also is to, when you, you know, when we pray to our Heavenly Father, I think that at the end of every day, we can ask him to accept our offering that we gave him that day. And, and, and every day will be different. Sometimes we are really busy with things. Sometimes we are sick. Sometimes we are sad. And our offering is different. But if every day we, we, we turn to him and say, please accept my offering. Mm-hmm. I tried my best today. I tried to do the things that I could do. I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do, but I yeah. did what I could. Uh, accept my offering, please. I, I think that he will let us know mm-hmm. that he's pleased. Because what father will tell you, <laughs> no, you didn't do enough. Yeah. I think that he will he will let us know that he's pleased. And that is something that I have tried to do, you know, at the end of every calling. I did it recently. At, uh, and I felt that assurance that he was pleased because I think I did my best, uh, you know, in every situation. And I try my best every day with all my weaknesses and the mistakes that I make. But, uh, but I have felt that that grace coming from heaven saying, yeah, you did enough. Tomorrow's a different day. <laughs> You're going to get up and, and try again. But for today, it's okay. Just go to sleep. <laughs> uh, in, in a kind of a practical application of that principle, do you literally, and if this is too much information, you can just tell me, hey, butt out, pal. Uh, <laughs> but it, as you say your prayers, is it is it something along the lines of like, hey, I tried my best today. I hope that you'll accept it. Is it that practical? And Yes. Oh. I, I have done it. You know, I, don't, yeah. I do it almost every day. And, and that reminds me of the story of the brother of Jared, you know, that the, he had two problems. He came to the Lord and the Lord gave him the solution of one of them right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for the other one, he had to go and, and do his work and do his homework. And then he, he tried to find the best offering that he could. You know, why 16 stones? We don't know. Yeah. We could have said, we could say, why not 100 or why not just two? Mm-hmm. But he did his best whatever we got, uh, according to his circumstances. And then he brought them to the Savior. And, and in a way, he said, this is the best I could. I bring you my best offering. And what did the Savior did? He touched them with his finger and 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 he gave them light and he gave them away to him and his family and i always love how all the stories in in, in the scriptures always have to do with families so he gave him and his family a way to receive that light and to have that light through their journey which is similar to what we have in our life so you know again it could have been any number of, of, of stones or something else mm-hmm. but the lord accepted his offering and and he he blessed him because of that yeah uh, i'd like to take a break real quick when we come back i uh, i want to talk a little bit about the podcast it seems like maybe this has shifted a little bit or was it always intended to be as it is <laughs> uh, we'll get the answer to that and some other questions coming back in the second block of the cultural hall bestdjinutah.com. That is the website. If you would like to hire me to come and to be at your event. Now, uh, I've done weddings and uh, family reunions, and I've had the opportunity to gather with folks just uh, for a party. I have yet to do a funeral. uh, And so I I don't want to say it with such exuberance, but 
I'm willing to play the music at a funeral, and I know that some people have really started to turn uh, the passing of someone into a party. Not that we're celebrating that they're gone. No, that's not what I'm saying. Take that back. Come on, Richie. I'm just saying the opportunity to be able to gather and celebrate the life of an individual. This suddenly got really dark, and I didn't mean it to. The point is, if uh, you have an event, an activity that you need music to be played for, why not considering Consider, rather, hiring me. Uh, You go to bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, do not forget that you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. You go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. That is how you get to see the video that we are recording today. And also you get episodes well before I ever publish them on the podcast feed. So you make sure and do that. It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So little over a year ago, uh, Elena, you and I, we spoke as you had only released one episode of the Consecrating Your Life podcast. And you had mentioned, you know, hopefully you could have conversations with other people. And I think that you even alluded in that episode to the fact that you might be able to speak to your mom and have her as a guest on the show as well. And as I understand it now, we have sort of shifted into where is this going to be you and your mom talking to other people or or what's the future of this? Yeah, so my mom is my co-host now. So sometimes we do episodes just with the two of us, but we also we still want to talk to other people as well. So I just had our first episode with a guest with my friend Shane, and we'll have some other friends as well. But yeah, it's been really fun so far, right? Sometimes we would love to have you. Oh, oh, that's very kind of you. But let me let me ask you before we get away from it, Elena. Uh, was it always the thought that, you know, we'll, we'll let mom kind of finish out the calling and bring her in? Or were you just like, oh, you know what? This would be a great way for me to connect with my mom. I'm doing this thing. And now I can bring her in on it. Before she answers, the, the truth is that there are always two sides of her, every story. So I will give, <laughs> I'll let her give her version of the story and then I'll give mine. Okay. <laughs> um. So, Okay. Yeah, a while ago, I had the idea to start a podcast just because of my conversations with my mom, just Mm -hmm. because I, I, not to like be pretentious or anything, but I just feel like when we talk and she tells me stuff about like the church or the church's culture and stuff, like I was just kind of feeling like, wow, I really wish that more people could hear these ideas that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was my idea from the start. But my mom was kind of busy with her calling at the time. So (laughs) I just decided to do it by myself for a while. I would just invite my friends on and it was fun. But yeah, I mean, that was really more of like a practice um, for the real thing, I guess. I just I joke that this is like season two. And I mean, it's like TV shows where it's like it doesn't get good until season two. So (laughs) that's how I feel. Yeah, the thing is that she told me from the beginning, you know, I'm going to start this, I'm going to start learning. And then when you are released, then we can do it together. And to be honest with you, inside, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) How come? Uh, Well, because of many reasons. One, because my calling was very intense. It was, you know, going, 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 going almost every day, Mm -hmm. every weekend and Lots of traveling, especially after after you know the pandemic kind of relaxed a little bit. We didn't travel for a while, but then we started traveling so much. And I was tired, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And in a way, also, I didn't want to call attention on me. I was thinking, you know, I don't I don't really want to do it. If if someone would have asked me a year ago if I want if I was going to accept speaking invitations after I was released, I would have said I don't think so. Right. But then as the day came closer, 
you know, it's interesting how the spirit works because maybe two or three months before I was released, I started receiving invitations to speak in different places. And to be honest with you, I, some of them I actually waited for a few days to, before I answered them hmm. because my first reaction was to say no. But then the spirit kept telling me, you need to keep testifying of Christ and of his gospel. The fact that you're going to be released doesn't mean that you don't need to keep doing that. Hmm. And so I had to say yes. <laughs> and then I, I, I hold her uh, with all my heart. Stolen. Okay, yes, let's do this. Because I feel that uh, we need to raise our voices and testify of Christ, or testify of his miracles. It doesn't matter where we are, what calling we have. We have made covenants to be to be witnesses of him. And so that's a real story. Yeah. <laughs> again, it was a process. You know, again, things don't happen, you know, from one day to the next. We, we need to go through a process and we need to be ready to do some things. We need to be ready to be vulnerable. We need to be ready to, to move on to a different stage in our life. And it takes time and, and we need to actually work through it inside us. And, and that's what happened. So now I feel like it's not that I want to go and speak everywhere, but, uh, you know, I, I, some people will invite me, I will go, depending on what it is, and, and just testify of Christ. That's my only desire, and, hmm. and, you know, to, to keep that covenant. Is it, is it scary? So I remember um, I served a mission and this is the closest related thing because, you know, it's two years all consuming. And I know Elena can relate to this as well, where you sort of know the expiration date. Mm -hmm. And as that gets closer, even though it's so hard, you kind of get scared because you don't know what life will be like after you're released in my case as a missionary, but in your case with your calling, were you scared or were you like, man, I can't wait to get back to my family and not have to go anywhere and stay in pajamas on you know Saturday morning of general conference. Like what was, what was that transition like for you? I don't think it was scary. You know, we knew from the beginning again, like a mission, we knew that it was going to be about five years. And then months before they told us and we knew that it was going to be extended a few more months because now they do like a transition time mm -hmm. um so i knew i knew i was prepared mentally and uh, um, it, it was not scary and I, I i just felt you know okay i'm ready this is the time the time has passed now we need to pass the baton to other sisters who are, who are doing an amazing job and i just need to to start doing other things and and you know i was so grateful and so humble for that opportunity to serve the lord like that that i could not feel any sadness or anything any negative feelings i just again i asked my heavenly father to accept my offering mm -hmm. and i have felt that he accepted it i don't think it was a perfect offering yeah. <laughs> it was a human offering with all my heart might and strength i feel but I knew that it was going to end. So now one of the things that I'm doing, and I feel so good about it, is that I'm uncluttering my house. Oh, really? you know, Room by room. I'm only in the second room right now. After all this <laughs> is, but I'm going through every single thing, every, every piece of paper, everything. And, and you're saying, okay, we can recycle this. We can donate this. We can throw away this. And it feels so good. And I didn't have time to do that for many years, even before that calling. And so for me, finally, to be able to do that, it feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm happy. And I'm just cheering on the sisters and the new sisters that were called. And they are, I'm their greater supporter. And it just, life goes on. And I'm just enjoying this. Elena, any worry that she's just going to throw all your stuff in the dumpster as she goes through <laughs> your old room and that kind of stuff? Or are you safe? Are you spared from the great purge of 2022? I'm not going to go into that room. <laughs> <laughs> she can do her room. There you go. So, so as you look forward to this season two of consecrating your life and where it'll be conversations, not only with the two of you, uh, but with other people, the idea of consecration I would bet, Elena, that since we first chatted, you have some further depth 
some greater knowledge about what consecrating really means as you've had the experience to hear what other people have said it means. What what have you learned about consecration or about consecrating your life that maybe when we first visited you, you wouldn't have had that knowledge? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I, I just love that everything is centered on the Savior in our church um, because he's the one who really changes people. Um, I really loved my episode with my friend Larkin, for example, where she talked about how, I mean, she left the church when she was like 16 and then she returned. And I mean, she returned because the savior was calling to her and Mm. she, I mean, she was just so far off of the path, but the change in her is just miraculous. And, and I mean, ever since I've been friends with her just this year, um, she is just the most pure soul. And it's like, it's hard for me to believe that she used to be so different, but it's just beautiful to see the change that the savior can create in people if they are willing to let him change them. So, yeah, I think it's interesting how when Elena has been asking that question at the end, what, what does consecration mean to you? Consecrating your life to the savior. Every person has a different answer. And it's, it's, it's lovely. I really I really love to see how we can see it from so many different angles. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, a, a wide concept, you know. Um, I hope that we don't see it, uh, that we don't think that we are only consecrating our life to the Savior when we are serving in a calling or mm-hmm. with something spiritual. You know, it's really our whole life. It's, it's what we do every minute of our life. And what is the intention of our heart? Why are we doing things? Even when we are working, when we are in school, when we are doing any kind of thing, cooking, doing the laundry, <laughs> all of those things are important. We need to do them because we need to survive. We need food. We need to get clean clothes and, and provide for our families. But everything has to do with, with how we live our life, how we live the gospel in our in, in every day and how we connect with other people. And uh, so it's everything that we do, everything. Even when we are sleeping, we need to replenish ourselves, (laughs) right? We need to take care of our body. So it's it's our life. Consecration has to do with our life. And we make that covenant in the temple that that we are going to give the Lord our life. And uh, and, and I think that's that's why that, that subject is so fascinating for us, because it's really everything, everything that we do. How, uh, as parents, because, uh, I mean, we're still doing it, even when our kids are older, uh, we're still providing instruction and guidance. It's in a different form. Hallelujah, that it's not always the same as it is when they're younger. Uh, how how can we, um, and maybe you guys can reflect on this on both sides, how can we have a spirit of consecration within our homes, whether we teach it or abide by it or adhere to it? What can we do to bring that idea of consecration into our homes. I think, let me, let me pause real quick and say, I think that sometimes um, people think consecration and they think of bring all of your goods to the Bishop's storehouse and he'll divide it out. And that's what we sort of think consecration is. And you guys are saying, no, it's everything. It's much bigger. How can we broaden that concept um, beginning with our homes so that it can spread throughout the church? Want to start? Yeah. Um, I feel like it's most important to live the gospel at home. Um, So for example, just in the way that we treat our family members, we need to be Christ-like when we do that. And sometimes it's really hard, honestly, for for me and for you, I'm sure, of just sometimes we're mean, we're the most mean to the people that are closest to us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's something I need to work on. Um, But I, I also, I mean, I don't know if you, you can cut this out, if <laughs> it, but I even feel like it just means doing the best that we can. And sometimes I worry that people take it too far though. Like mom and I were talking recently that we don't love the idea of like the whole family waking up at 5am to read the scriptures together, for example, because mm-hmm. like, if I, if, if my parents had made me do that, I would have hated the scriptures. Like it's just straight up. Like, yeah. like I feel like. I don't know. I mean, even though I, I recognize that it's important to read the scriptures as a family, but do it in a way that like 
um, I don't know, that makes sense that it doesn't make you hate it. I don't know if that helps, but just living the gospel and not necessarily like feeling like you have to be perfect and read the scriptures every single day, as long as like you are doing your best and maybe even listening to the scriptures on your way to work or something, you don't have to do it as a family, mm-hmm. just that kind of thing. So, yes. Well, for me, I think that the foundation of everything has to be love. You know, we know that when the when they ask the Lord, which was the great commandment of the law, in the law, he said, you know, to love Lord the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And then the second great, great commandment was to love thy neighbor. I think that if we do everything with love, if we focus on love, you know, we will do things more naturally and it will be more organic. Yeah. And I honestly believe that we are already consecrating our life. Hmm. You know, we are all consecrating our life to already to the Lord. Yeah. But we probably need to be more intentional and, and, and more more uh, aware of it and probably even talk about it, you know, uh, over the dinner table. I feel that the dinner table is such a special place. For some reason, I related to the sacrament table in a way. Hmm. Because if you think about it, we put our food, you know, the, the, the fruit of our labors. And then we sit as a family. We bow our head to, to, to give thanks for the food and for all our blessings. And then we enjoy those gifts that come from heaven. I believe food is a gift from heaven. It's so good, you know, <laughs> for us and, and the colors and the smells and everything. And then and then we 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 share it with our family, we we rejoice together, but we also have amazing conversations. I think that's the place where the, the best conversations happen. And so why not start talking about it, you know, and say, what did you do today? What happened to you today? What miracles did you see? How did you help other people? How did other people help you? And all of that is consecration. Sometimes we, we worry so much about labeling things. We have done that with ministering, I think. Mm-hmm. Try to label it so much that sometimes we don't do it naturally, but, but we are already doing it. We are already yeah. ministering. We are already consecrating our life. We are already loving. But probably we just need to be more intentional and probably have those conversations, you know, um, when we read the scriptures, when we talk about the, whatever we are studying with home, follow me, just asking, asking each other, to each other what, what things we saw that day, what things are worrying us. Uh, what can we pray tomorrow when we have our, our or tonight when we have our, our individual prayer? Do you need, is there something that is happening in your life that I should probably pray about? I mean, I think those kind of questions go open up and then we'll be more intentional. I, I like the idea of intention because I think then to take it out a little further, you're right. We are doing all the things, but as we do them with intention, the intensity of what we're doing can grow. Uh, a couple of things that I uh, just kind of want to pick up from what you said. Um, one is, and I wish I could remember where I could, where I heard this recently, um, because then I could cite a reference and it's not just me saying, you know, I heard this recently and everyone goes, what, where did he hear that from? I don't know. It's hard to remember everything. <laughs> but the idea of, um, loving your neighbor as yourself, the, the speaker, or maybe it was in a book, I can't remember, turned it and said, how often do we give our neighbors and our friends the grace that we don't give ourselves? And so said, we need to love it's so easy for us to love other people and we make it so hard to love ourselves. That was sort of impressed on me a couple of times as you were speaking that I wanted to, to make sure and share. And then the other thing, um, and, and I would be curious if you think that this is a little bit cultural, but I know like um, Hispanic and Latin culture, like they make food more of an event than <laughs> like. You know, and I don't want to, I, I know I'm generalizing and stereotyping, but for so many within North America, within the church, we're like, what can I eat as quick as I can? Because I've got a million things. And like all of our, our Latin and Hispanic brothers and sisters are just like, no, no, no. We're doing relax. this for a few hours. Let's <laughs> relax. And we are going to, you know, we're going to eat so much. We're going to sleep for a couple hours. 
how how can we i don't know maybe there's not the remedy for that but i really do love the idea of gathering a gathering place if it's food if it's scripture time if it's family home evening but the opportunity to gather because that is when that connection occurs yeah i don't think that it can happen all the time you know we need to be relaxed on that too and and realistic you know Mm -hmm. there are days you know during the week in which not everybody is there and and sometimes we have to just make maybe a tuna sandwich and run you know because (laughs) we have soccer games or other things that happened to us for many years. Mm-hmm. It's not every day, but there are times in which you just have, it's like magic, you know, something's magical and everybody's there and we are just all trying to, to share. So we have to be realistic, but that's why it's so beautiful to have a Sabbath, you know, a day of rest in which you are not running that much, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, and trying to, to find those times. And, and sometimes it's hard to schedule them. They just happen. But uh, but even when we are in the car, and that is a, a good place because everybody just cannot leave. <laughs> we have everyone everyone trapped in there. Mm-hmm. We can actually start conversations, sing together, and uh, you know, put down all the phones, and then just have a good conversation. I think that we we can find those times if we really look for them. Yeah. And, and again, it's, if, if, even if not everybody is there, just if you are only with one or two of your family members then do it there and then and then so forth you know it's interesting because our other son that lives with us you know he he works in the evenings so he's usually not here when we have dinner so it's very hard for me to remember did i did i say this did i tell this story when he was here or not and sometimes i have to do it twice because i don't remember when he was here but you know you just adapt you adapt and and you do your best don't be so hard on yourselves, I think. And I will let you answer no, that. I don't, I don't even feel like I can answer this because I'm not, I don't really act very Hispanic. <laughs> but I mean, um, wait, but so you are. is your question like, how can we connect with people? Yeah, uh, yeah I think it, it may be, it, it may be a question and maybe just sort of a side comment in that, you know, I think I, the overwhelming thing from what I've gathered from what we've talked about is just we're doing better than we think, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, we can be intentional and it doesn't have to be, I do this every day this same way. There are seasons of life and we can kind of be intentional. So so I guess I would just ask you, like, what have you benefited from having that uh, opportunity to connect with your family? What do you feel like you've gleaned uh, from those experiences? And and how are you then able to be intentional with other people? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my family is just a really good example to me of connecting with other people. I mean, my parents, they're just really easygoing. Like whenever, whenever, can I say this? Whenever, yeah. like, I don't feel like I can say this. You can do it. Whenever Caucasians like uh-huh. come to our door, like they always... My parents are always like, well, come in, like, come sit with us for a minute. And they'll be like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to take too much of your time. And our parents are like, we're Hispanic. We don't have a schedule. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, they'll just come in and all apologetic. And so, I I mean, I've kind of done that with my friends, especially really recently. I'll just show up to their house. And, I mean, they, they let me stay for a bit. And they don't mind. And I'm just like, I love this culture of just like, Let's just let's just relax. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Just leave the moment. You know, I feel that sometimes our neighbors come and they just expect to to spend maybe twenty seconds at the door because they're dropping something or just stop guys to say hello. And we just make them come in and we stay yeah. there for hours. <laughs> and it's lovely. We love it. Yeah. We really love it because we are really not doing anything special. I mean, we are just spending time together. Or. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever we were going to do, it can be done another time. It's not like somebody's going to die if we don't do it that day. I don't know. Those rooms, those rooms, Reina, every single room needs to be gotten through. I'm telling you. Yeah. Keep but, that but that's why it's taking so long, you know, because I just do a little bit whenever I can. But I just love the process. I'm yeah. almost done with the second room. Yes. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah, but another thing that I was going to say regard, you know, regarding those conversations that we have with our families, and this is for, for the ones that have children, sometimes as parents, we feel like we are the teachers, we need to teach everything. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like one way, you know, oh, I need to be prepared to teach my children. But the truth is that we learn so much from them by just asking them questions and letting them open their heart to us. There is so much that we can learn from the rising generation. Hmm. And uh, we just need to connect with them. Don't, don't, don't just be, think that you have to give everything to them. You have to teach them. You have to guide them. It's all your responsibility. It's, it's a family thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've talked about how it's better to counsel with each other instead of counseling just about each other. Yeah. So, I mean, since I'm single, I don't have my own family yet, but I think of that in the terms of like, also in the church where I don't like to just counsel about the sisters in the Relief Society, I like to counsel with them. Um, but yeah, I think the, the same thing is true in the family where, I mean, you can... I love just asking kids or youth questions and hearing what they have to say instead of just pretending like I know everything and they don't know anything. So yeah. the truth is that we are just pretending that mm-hmm. we are in control. Yeah. <laughs> like as you know in our podcast, we are just pretending that we yeah. know what we're doing, that we don't yeah. really know. <laughs> I know that you're an expert, but we don't Oh no, that. stop it, stop it. Uh I, I do want to take another break real quick. Uh there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you. Plus, I got a couple other questions up my sleeve as well. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Hi, friends. Dan, the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC Laptops right now at PCLaptops.com. PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can always send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. If you want to say, I love the Abuertos, they should be a part of every single episode, you could send that to us in an email. If you say, I don't care for the Abuertos, keep that to yourself. Don't send me that email. All right. Just, you know, I don't need that kind of hate in the world. Keep that one to yourself. For all positive things or suggestions, constructive criticism, I'll take it. Contact at theculturalhall.com. So I'm going to put you guys both on the spot. Um, we talked about how we can learn from other generations. So Raina, I want to ask you what, if, if I had to say what one lesson or I'm trying to, I don't, I'm going to pinpoint it a little bit more. So I will say what one lesson, what have you learned from Elena that you value that has taught you in a way that maybe you hadn't taught her or something like that. And then conversely, uh, Elena, what has your, what is one thing that your mom has taught you that you just feel to be invaluable? So I'll let you go ahead and go first, Raina. Well, I think that, uh, like I was saying, you know, my journey with being vulnerable, I think that Elena gave me the courage to open up because she has been always open about her struggle with depression and anxiety. Uh, even before she's, so, you know, served a mission and that uh, when she gave that talk before she left, she just opened up and that was such a beautiful talk. And she just, you know, shared her struggles and how the Savior had helped her. And for me, that was a big lesson. And, uh, and I still had to learn a lot about it and I'm still learning, but I think that I, I really admire her courage, her courage to open up and to let others know about her struggles so they know that they are not alone in their own journeys. I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I have learned from her. I could go on, but, but I know that we need to end <laughs> at some point. <laughs> what, what do you think, Elena? What has your mom taught you? Okay, I'm going to try so hard not to cry right now. Okay, um, my mom is just so good at loving everyone um she i don't know she never misses an opportunity to just give somebody a compliment or to make them feel welcome and stuff i was just just to give a concrete example um one time a friend of ours when we were in the spanish branch years ago i was a teenager and um this young couple got called like he was called as the branch president and she did not speak any Spanish like he spoke Spanish so that's Mm -hmm. why they were in the word um and my mom just one day like told her thank you so much for being here and this friend of ours just like started weeping so much I mean and and yeah I I felt the same way but I never told her that I wish I had (laughs) but um 
I don't know. My mom is just really, really good at being so inclusive and and really letting people know that they're loved. So I love that about her. Yes, I have to. I have to make the disclaimer that I that's something that I learned from the from this culture, from the United States culture, because I have met people that you know every time they see you, they tell you something positive. <laughs> if they cannot find anything, they just say, "Oh, I, I love that blouse." <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and the truth is that we can always find a way. And, and so I had tried to follow their example, um, to, to try to say something positive, to try to, to include everyone. Um, I, I love, I think that people give me, I don't know, I, I receive so much energy and, and uh, good bribes from people. And I think that we can all try to, we, we can all try to be more open to connect with people very easily. Yeah. Especially in a day and age now where we're on the other side of the pandemic for the most part and people lost so much connection with other people and people dealing with depression and anxiety and just loneliness in a way that, you know, we can be in, in some, in some ways we can be the savior to other people, letting them know you are loved, you are cared for, you matter. We missed you today, all of those things. Um, the three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we asked these of you before, Elena, but I'll ask you uh, again because some of them may have changed. The first question uh, is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? You don't have a calling right now, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> I, you're doomed now. You are, you, you'll get the phone call this Sunday. All right, what about you, Elena? Do you have a calling right now? So actually, like the day before my mom got released, I got called to her same position, but in my, my ward, not the whole ward, world. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm the second counselor in my Relief Society presidency right now in, in my YSA ward. And yeah, this is actually my fourth time serving in the Relief Society presidency because I guess Heavenly Father really wants me to, to work with the sisters a lot. So yeah, it's been good. Yeah. And some would say you're not learning what you're supposed to, and that's why he exactly. keeps calling you to the same position. So if you want to, you know, if you want to do something else, you're going to have to really figure it out. I'm teasing, of course. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that I, I have, I actually have colleagues, you know, because all my family have colleagues and I support them. For me, callings are a family thing. So, yes, I do have a calling. It's yeah. for, to support my family. <laughs> if, if you could pick a calling, uh, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I've always wanted to be an FHE, like the activities committee, but... Family home evening? Or, yeah, I'm sorry, no acronyms because that's <laughs> like those. Family um, home evening activities committee because I think I'd be so good at that, but oh, it's never happened. <laughs> well, maybe your bishop is listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> Setting this down, yeah. Yes, I, I don't know. I, I just like serving. I just like serving. I think the nursery sounds good right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being with those children and having snacks with them and playing and singing, you know, beautiful primary songs. That sounds good right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you like that because I would not want that calling at all. So I'm grateful that there are people that, that like those kind of things. The snacks I could be, I could be a snack coordinator for nursery. I'd be all over that. So long as I got to drop the snacks off and then be able to leave. Um, now, let me tell you a story. I, I, I belong to the primary general board years before my calling with Relief Society, and I had to visit many, many primaries. And to be honest with you, one of my favorite ones was one in which all of the leaders were young Man. fathers. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They had like four young fathers in there. And that was... <laughs> I mean, it was the best. <laughs> so I really, I really think that you will, you will fit perfectly there. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm in charge of teenagers right now, so I'll take, I'll take what I can get at this point. Um, the last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret however you would like. But the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith? And uh, Elena, I'll have you go first, and then Reina, you can finish us out. I feel like my answer hasn't changed as much since the last time I was on your podcast. You remember? Yeah, I remember that I said that I like that it's centered on the Savior. 
because he really is everything to me. Um, can I just share something uh, about the temple? Of course. Um, so in the temple, we, yeah, I can say this. Elder Benner said it was okay to talk about the temple, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, in the endowment, there's the veil. Mm-hmm. Um, and the veil in Hebrews, it says that the veil represents the savior. Um, which I love because I mean, the veil has the same marks that the, our garments have. So it's like, we're, when we wear our garments, we're wearing the savior. Mm-hmm. We're taking him with us everywhere. Yeah. I love that. Um, but I also love, I just love what it teaches us about grace too, because I mean, the person on the other side of the veil is kind of acting like, um, God. And so we're talking to him and he's looking at us through the veil, through this perfect being. And so when God is looking at us, he's only seeing the good that we've done Mm. instead of like all the terrible things that I've done. So, which really means a lot to me because I tended to define myself by my weaknesses, but I know that the savior doesn't, that he makes up for what I can't do. And I just, I'm just so grateful that he has shown me that he loves me, that he's communicated with me personally and I feel like it like it says in Doctrine and Covenants I feel like I can testify and say that I have figuratively seen his face Mm. so yeah yes Um, something that I like about my faith is that it's based on words you know that we really have to to try to find ways to keep being better you know like you said we are not as bad as we think but we can always do better Mm-hmm. We are always progressing and learning and growing and trying to do best. And, uh, and, and then another thing that I like is the, is the love, you know, that everything, again, is based on love. If we, if we love our Heavenly Father, if we love our Savior, then it's easier to love other people. And if we love other people, it's easier to love our, our, our Heavenly Father and our Savior. And, and I love um, how by connecting with people, I can feel the love of God for me. Yeah. And hopefully they can also feel the love of God through me. So it's just the, the connection, and the, the words, the connection and the, and the love that we just try to have with each other. Yeah. I love that. The name of the podcast is Consecrating Your Life Podcast. You can find it where you find the Cultural Hall. I encourage you to subscribe and and uh, tune in for season two. Now with twice as many abuertos as there was in season one. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. That if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the cultural hall show. I love hearing missionary stories. One of my older brother's friends served a mission in Canada. He loved his mission, but it was also very cold up there. He once said that the missionaries up there have a saying, the colder your mission, the hotter your wife. I have taken that saying, that saying and put it in my own words. The harder your trial, the greater your blessings. I feel like that's what they were trying to say. Today I will be talking about trials, specifically on being grateful for your trials. I wrote this talk with this question in mind. Why do bad things happen to good people? I began by taking a look at the most perfect person who walked the earth, the Savior. Elder Holland explained that the wounds in his hands, feet, and side are signs that in mortality, painful things happen even to the pure and the perfect, signs that tribulation is not evidence that God does not love us. This gives me the comfort to know that no matter how hard life gets, God is mindful of me and he still loves me. And how can I complain about life when Christ did nothing wrong yet suffered the worst? Sister Reeves of the Relief Society General Presidency said, The trials and tribulation that we experience may be the very things that guide us to come unto him. It is during times of trial that I have prayed the most sincerely, and I have felt the comfort of the Spirit strongly during those times of trouble, and I have drawn closer to the Lord. 
One thing I wanted to mention is the cutest couple ever, Elder Richard G. Scott and his wife Janine. Janine passed away about 20 years ago, yet Elder Scott talks about her as if she is still with us. He is still so in love with her. After she passed away, the first general conference talk that he gave was all about trials. It is titled, Trust in the Lord. He says, Trials are evidence that the Lord feels you are prepared to grow more. To get you from where you are to where He wants you to be requires a lot of stretching, and that generally entails discomfort and pain. We should be grateful that the Lord wants us to grow and He trusts us with His trials, with trials that He knows we can overcome. There are so many stories which illustrate this principle of the refinement that comes from trials, but I'll just share one quick story. My mom was baptized at age 26, and about three months later, she was called to be a Sunday school teacher. As a new member of the church, she felt scared and she felt like she didn't know much, but with faith, she accepted her calling. In her Sunday school class, my dad was one of the students, was one of her students, and that is how they met. For after much tribulation come the blessings. I never thought I'd say this, but I recently saw a Disney Pixar movie which increased my understanding of the plan of salvation. Pixar's latest movie, titled Inside Out, touched my heart so profoundly. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, basically it's about this young girl named Riley and you get to explore her mind. Her emotions are the main characters in the movie. Joy and sadness are especially significant in the movie, and I loved the way that this film portrayed the importance of sadness, and I'll come back to that movie in just a second. Most of us are familiar with the scripture in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 25, which says, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. In other words, we came to earth so that we may be happy. That is the purpose of our existence. In that same chapter, in verse 23, it explains that if Adam and Eve would have remained in the Garden of Eden, they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery. Elder Bruce C. Hafen explained that sin, misery, and other trials help create the context for learning what joy means. This is the message that Inside Out portrayed so beautifully. I have since learned that when we go through trials, whether it be sins or something we have no control over, the atonement erases that pain, and it also allows for human development. Christ's sacrifice and the plan of redemption gives meaning and purpose to all of Adam and Eve's opposition. I also want to briefly discuss the character Joy from the movie Inside Out. For me personally, I found that Joy was very similar to the Savior, even though I know that's probably not what the filmmakers were going for. Joy carried the weight of Riley's past memories, and she carried sadness. Like the Savior, Joy was willing to literally help carry this young girl's burdens. Joy was willing to do anything so that this young girl could be happy, and unlike the other emotions, Joy glowed with light. She makes me think of the hymn, which says, The Lord is my light, He is my joy. Another reason that I love this movie is because one of the hardest trials I ever had to endure was sadness. There was a time in my life where I was extremely sad all of the time. I always thought that sadness was something to be ashamed of and that it was a sign of weakness. So I kept my sadness to myself. I admire this movie for showing that it is okay to be sad. This was a difficult time for me, but looking back, I have noticed blessings that have come from that trial. For example, I have learned how to cope with those sad feelings, and I learned how to deal with rejection and with people that I don't get along with or feelings of embarrassment, among other things. This new knowledge is something that I will use on my mission and for the rest of my life. This trial has made me stronger, and for that, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for that trial. During this sad time, I felt completely worthless, but that trial gave me the chance to truly exercise my faith in the plan of salvation, for I knew that my Heavenly Father loved me and that He had a plan just for me and that Christ understood exactly what I was going through. President Ezra Taft Benson once said, The Lord works from the inside out. It's as if President Benson knew I was going to use this movie in my talk. He says, The world works from the outside in. The world will mold men by changing their environment. Christ changes men who then change their environment. The world would shape human behavior. 
but Christ can change human nature. That is exactly what happened to me. My trials did not go away immediately. My environment did not change, but I changed, and I grew both mentally and spiritually. That quote reminds me of my favorite chapter in the Book of Mormon, which is Alma 36. That is the part when Alma the Younger tells his son about his own experience with repentance. He mentions how sorrowful he felt, and in this case, his trial came from his sins. He says in verse 21, There could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as were my pains. On the other hand, there can be nothing so exquisite and sweet as was my joy. I love that comparison that he makes between the sadness from his sins and the joys of repentance. In verse 24, he says, Yea, and from that time, even until now, I have labored without ceasing that I might bring souls unto repentance, that I might bring them to taste of the exceeding joy of which I did taste, that they might also be born of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is why we do missionary work, to let others experience the joy of the gospel. I am grateful for my knowledge of the atonement and the plan of salvation, and on my mission, I want to help others through their trials. Alma testifies of the following in verse 27. I have been supported under trials and troubles of every kind, yea, and in all manner of afflictions. Yea, God has delivered me from prison and from bonds and from death. Yea, and I do put my trust in him, and he will still deliver me. I know that Heavenly Father will support us under our trials, just as he helped Alma and all the other great prophets of the scriptures. I know the church is true. I know that Heavenly Father loves each one of us so much. I know that President Monson is a prophet of God, and like us, he is human, and he has to go through his own trials. I'm grateful for his example. I testify that because of the atonement, we can be perfected with the Lord's help. I know that the Savior suffered for all of our pains and afflictions. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.